Welcome to A Culture of the Supernatural. Hi, this is Apostle Jonathan Bird. Using my experience as a springboard, I want to share with you steps that you can take to begin the process of walking in the supernatural. Amazing progress can be made by both men and women who are willing to be discipled. True freedom is a result of understanding and receiving the truth about yourself and your creator. Come and join with me in today's message. My prayers, Jesus, roar over America, roar over our nation. The encouraging part of what's going on in our nation, it is about who's going to be God of America. Regardless of what you think, it is almost unbelievable to me that any minister or any Christian can support wokeism. It's nothing more than an ancient demon with a new name. It's called humanism. Man wants to be God. And from the very beginning, Jesus said that Satan was the father of lies. From the very beginning, he said he was a murderer from the very beginning. I just want to share with you just a few minutes about the importance of deliverance, and hopefully I'll be able to shed some thoughts for you to think about concerning the ministry of deliverance. And most people don't like the term deliverance. So if I would say sanctification, that would probably be a better term for people to digest is sanctification, as opposed to using the words deliverance, because deliverance is always involved uh, some darkness, some demonic entity, and these entities are embodied spirits looking for a host to live in. You are the host. You are the people. And so, so these entities or these demonic spirits are spirits of darkness trying to look for a host to live in. So if you don't have a Bible, I, I brought this Bible up here just to show you. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the back. Um, most people use their phone or their tablet or, or whatever, but you need to, you really need to have a Bible. You have to, you shouldn't have to always Google, Google and ask Google to, to pull you up a scripture. The word of God should live in your heart. It is living and powerful and sharper than any two as a sword. And so this word shall live in your heart. This is the most powerful handgun in the whole planet right here. And you need to carry it with you at all times. You can't wait till you go through some demonic situation and say, devil, hold up. I got to go find a scripture to rebuke you with. That, that doesn't happen. It's not easy to be deceived, but it really is. It is easy to be deceived. And most people who think it's not easy to be deceived is deceived. Satan's greatest weapon is deception. The church's greatest need is discerning, discernment. So it is easy to be deceived by depending on proof texts quoted out of context. Proof text quoted out of context. The argument runs something like this when it comes to the ministry of deliverance. We are converted. We are set free from the powers of darkness. Now, that's what mainstream people who never understood deliverance would say. They would say we are converted. 
and we have been set free from the powers of darkness. And they'll quote the scripture out of Colossians. And they'll tell you, you have moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Does it not say that, apostle? Yes, it does. If then you are now in the kingdom of light, then they say the kingdom of darkness cannot have any further influence in your life. And Christians cannot, therefore, be demonized because there are no demons in the kingdom of light. That is the argument that is posed. I call that human theology reasoning. Human theology reasoning. So if, if our experience in life doesn't match our theology, then our theology must change. In other words, in other words, if you run into a believer who loves Christ, who confessed Christ, but they still manifest uncontrolled anger, they still drink like a fish, and they're bound by alcoholism, and they still lie and, lie and cheap every time they open their mouths or put their hand in their pocket, what has changed? So if our theology that says, our theology says, I'm a new creation in Christ, but I'm still not living a new life. So then if the experience says, if your mouth says, your confession says, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, and I have been changed, and I've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, but you still live like you live in the kingdom of darkness, then your theology and your, your experiences that you are living in life, something is wrong. So if my experiences in life doesn't match your theology, then your theology must change. The two scriptures that are often quoted as supporting this viewpoint that I just laid out to you is John chapter 8, verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new Creation. Now, here's the question we must all ask yourself. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, if we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, then what do we know about being new? Because you was never new before. You ever buy new shoes, take them home, Walk in the house, only discover I can't wear these shoes. Why? They hurt my feet. And I can't walk right in them. So you become a new creation in Christ Jesus, then all of a sudden, you don't know how to walk in them shoes. And this new way hurts this old way you've been experiencing all your life. And every time I attempt to do right, I keep slipping back to the same old thing. Could I have a demon? Could it be? Could there be a curse in my bloodline that's not been submitted to the depth of the cross that constantly keeps me falling back to that which I do not choose to do? That's what Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 7. 
Why do I keep picking the wrong people in my life? Why do I keep being drawn to certain conversation and say, oh, you're just religious. I can be what I want. After all, Christ loves me and I'm a new creation. You cannot fit scripture to support your lack of deficiency, inadequacy, critical thinking, or incompleteness in Christ. And we have become proficient at quoting scripture to cover up our inadequacy, our deficiency, our incompleteness, or critical thinking in Christ. Using these two verses that I just mentioned to you, John 8, 36 and 2 Corinthians 5, 17, to support the opposition to deliverance or deliverance ministry is confusing the eternal with the temporary dimensions of the gospel of salvation, and it is a contradiction to the completeness of the scripture. Jesus said these words. Jesus said in what we call the Great Commission, but it was nothing more than the commission of the apostles, and this is what Jesus said. He says, go into the world. And then he said these words. Cast out demons. Jesus, God, manifested in the flesh. Why would he have told us to cast out demons before he said heal the sick? Why was casting out demons first? The Lord meant what he said, and he said what he meant. So then why didn't he say heal the sick first, then cast out demons? Why did he say cast out demons, heal the sick, and then teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Why would Jesus have told us that our battle is going to be casting out demons out of people? So what is deliverance? In the process of deliverance and inner healing. Why do people need inner healing? We'll talk more about it. But in the process of deliverance and inner healing, you exchange the ending of one phase of life for the beginning of a new one. It is the gap between disillusion and illusion, between bondage and freedom, the place where real conversion occurs. You cannot experience a fresh start until you deal with the closure process. We want to cross over into a new place without closing the old place. If we don't close the old place, we will revisit it over and over and over in life. Sarah went down to Egypt and they bought a slave girl. And they bought this slave girl and she brought her back to Abraham. And so she couldn't conceive because of her old age. She didn't, Really, she couldn't conceive because she didn't believe what the word of the Lord came to her and said. It wasn't because she wasn't old. It was because she didn't believe what the angel said. 
And so the angel says, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. <laughs> she laughed. I'm 90 years old, have a baby, like some of you would laugh. Like my womb is old and it ain't happening. So the angel said, Sarah, oh, yeah, but you're going to have one. And so, you know, they went down to Egypt and they buy this little slave girl. Well, Abraham comes out of an idolatrous nation. And his father was keen idolatry. And so Abraham had it in his blood to be an idolater. Well, God calls him out of Haram and calls him into the place. He said, go to the land I'm going to show you. Well, somehow they end up, they wander in and so forth. And it gets down in. So Sarah decides she's going to help God out. Well, if we're going to have a baby, then I need to help you, Abraham, because you're not going to have one with me. And so she gets this slave girl. Now, keep in mind, Abraham's an old man, so all his blanks was empty. That was a miracle. So they go, now hold it, gentlemen, hold it. So they go down to Egypt, and it gets the slave girl, and Abraham lays with her. And Abraham starts liking this. He's laying with this young girl. I mean, it got good to him. And so Sarah doesn't like it because now she's starting to be mocked that this girl walking around here with his big old belly, Abraham happy. She ain't never seen Abraham that happy in his life. And so Sarah goes to Abraham and said, put the bond woman out. She said, put her out. Get rid of her. And Abraham said, oh, no. <laughs> she pleases me. After all, you wouldn't brought her, not me. So don't get upset here now. I didn't do it. And so Abraham's in prayer, and God comes to him and says, Obey Sarah. Put the bond woman out. Now, I just want to pause right there. So if any of you men got a bond woman, <laughs> put her out. Let me help you now. <laughs> so, so anyway, Sarah says, put the bond woman out. Well, the Bible says the thing displeased Abraham. You know why? Abraham came out of idolatry, and so when they brought the bond girl, she came out of Egypt out of idolatry, worshiping a God that wasn't Jehovah God. And so Abraham lays with her. Now they, they get us so tied. So she now got us so tied. I want you to know that's what you get. Is you don't, you know, you know old saying, if you lay down with dogs, you get it with fleas. No, you don't. You lay down and you get us so tied. So now Abraham physically and emotionally tied to this slave girl because they both now go back and revisit idolatry. And God tells Abraham, obey Sarah because you fell into a trap. Obey Sarah, put the bond woman out. Closure requires reflection of who you really are in Christ Jesus. That's what deliverance brings, that inner healing brings. It brings closure, and then in closure, it requires a reflection for you to look back and say, that little thing punied me. That little thing kept me in bondage. That little thing destroyed my marriage. That little thing caused me and my spouse not to get along. That little thing has separated me and my children. That little thing has caused me to live in lack. That little thing has caused me to live in unbelief. That little thing, that little thing, that little thing. And you look back and say, if that puny little thing caused so much trouble in my life, 
but you don't need deliverance. But you don't know, Pastor, what it done to me. You don't need healing. Closure requires a reflection of who we really are in Christ Jesus. Jesus told some religious people who believed in God that they were of their father, the devil. Can you believe that? These people believed in God. They taught in the synagogue. They wrote the scribes right here. They believed in God. And Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. Now, I don't want none of you to go away and not come back, but how would you feel if I was to point my finger and say to you, you are of your father, the devil. You would get up, come up here, get your tired, and leave. And tell me you want to pay back. That's what Jesus told them. Listen to these words. In John's gospel, chapter 8, verse 44, you would have to read from 39, 37, all the way down to get the fear picture. But they told Jesus that he was the prince of Beelzebub. The, he, was, he was the father of flies. He was the master of the flies. Well, we know that flies always like to fly around stinky stuff. And so they told Jesus that you were the master of that stinky stuff. That's what they told Jesus, Beelzebub. And so in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 44, I see you turning pages, so if you need a Bible, I got one right here. If you need one, raise your hand. Interesting. You know, something about this, this subject about demons and angels eh, that fascinates the world. That's why you see so much of it on your television. People are fascinated about the unseen. So Jesus says these words back in John 8, 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He says he was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is the liar and the father of it. Who's your father? Deliverance 101, sign up today. Because you may discover some things about yourself that you didn't know. You may wonder why I have these mood swings. I'm up and down. You're running around taking medicine and seeing this doctor and this natural pathologist. You're seeing all these people, and you got a devil. You cannot counsel a devil, and you cannot medicate one. You have to cast it out. You see, but you can't cast out what you do not recognize. This is Apostle Bird. So glad that you tuned into the podcast. I'm looking forward to you enjoying it again. Come with us soon and meet us with our next Supernatural Podcast. God bless you.